0: Pessimists tend to assume that artificial intelligence will leave low-skilled workers without any jobs. And even techno-optimists often fail to actually describe how things will work out for the best. So what jobs will be available as AI grows increasingly powerful? And how will future technology affect other problems, like content moderation on the Internet? I'll be discussing these questions today with Mike Masnick. Mike is the founder and CEO of Floor64 and the editor of TechDirt. A technology and news analysis blog. Recently, he co edited a volume of short stories and wrote two of them himself, released by the Copia Institute, Working Futures 14 speculative stories about the future of work. Mike, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I certainly want to get your thoughts on tech policy, content moderation, things you write a lot about over at TechDirt. But first, of course, I want to chat about Working Futures. As I mentioned, Uh, In the intro, you know, there's this uh, joke, it's a very tired joke. Uh, Maybe I'll never repeat it again, Uh, but it's a joke about automation and jobs. And it says that the manufacturing plant of the future will be staffed by just a dog and a man. The man's (laughs) job will be to feed the dog and a dog's job will be to keep the man away from the machines. And most (laughs) of the speculation I hear about how tech's going to affect jobs, it doesn't get a lot better than that. So I've been hungry for smart speculation, imaginative speculation that's, you know, not dystopian, not utopian either. And that's what I found in in, in working futures. So how did that anthology come about and what were you trying to accomplish?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was basically based on exactly what you said, more or less. I mean, we had been seeing all the different stories about the future of work. And they seem to fall into one of two camps. And one was the very dystopian, all the jobs are going to go away and we're all going to die. <laughs> and and uh, the world will be awful because uh, there'll be no jobs for anyone and and it'll be a mess. Uh, and then on the flip side, a bunch of people who said, you know, hey, this this will all work itself out. Stop worrying about it. Don't even think about it. Um, and and I found neither of those satisfying <laughs> uh, you know because neither of them gave gave any instruction or any idea on, a, on things that we could or should be doing in the meantime. And even though I am generally speaking a, a fairly optimistic person and, and probably would fall into the like hey, it will work itself out camp um, I also do believe that, that getting things to work out well uh, can involve people understanding where things are going and, and helping to move them in that right direction where, where it's possible. Um, and so, and, and that, that's certainly been my fear. My
0: fear is that since people, <laughs> they, you know, they seem to be to worry so much about it. And, uh, you know, I'm fear that my, my concern is that they'll be like, well, since we don't know what these jobs are going to be, and everyone's saying that the ro- robots are just going to get smarter and smarter, AI's is going to take everything. You know, maybe we need to like stop technological progress. So that's, so yeah. that's what I you know I was looking for some optimistic uh, an optimistic vision.
1: Yeah, and so and, and so that was the the general idea, and we thought you know could we sort of use a, a couple different tools in the toolbox to see if we could think through, you know, what the future might really look like as much as possible. And of course, nobody can actually predict the future. Um, but we thought that combining two different things, which is scenario planning, which is sort of an established process for kind of trying to think through possible futures. It's not about predicting, but thinking through where things might realistically go. Um, and then combine that with science fiction writers, we might be able to come up with some interesting ideas. Um,
0: uh, um, is it before we sort of you know, take a look at some of uh, you know, what, they ended, what, the, what the writers came up with, what were some of or give us a little bit of feel for some of those future worlds that the writers were then given uh, to come up with their, their, their stories.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the things that we did, which was kind of a fun change from, I think, traditional scenario planning was that we in, as part of the process, we asked um, people to come up with, with headlines from the future. So within each scenario that, that came out, we had them write five headlines that might exist in this future. And that seemed like a really useful tool for thinking about a way to frame what was happening. It's one thing to sort of envision, you know, these forces continue in this direction, these forces happen, you know, uh, but actually having to to condense that into an actual headline um, was a really interesting and useful exercise in, in my book. And I think, uh, you know, for for future scenario planning exercises, we'll continue to, to use that.
0: And, and again, you know, these were uh, worlds that were sort of, you're if you you pay attention to the news and if you pay attention to 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 trends these were not unrecognizable worlds they weren't uh you know again they weren't they weren't a utopia these were not it was not star trek uh but it also was not you know um climate change has incinerated the earth so these were (laughs) these were sort of recognizable worlds which you know, you might not like. I mean, you may, you may not like. The, maybe you wouldn't want to live in that world, or maybe there's parts you would like. Uh, but that's, of course, uh, that's true of this world, where there's parts you kind of like and don't like. Um, so, uh, broadly, the jobs that, that were that were come up with were those were they were they good jobs? Were these jobs that people could do? Because you know, the concern is again in the future that all the jobs, um, unless, you know, were, would be they're going to be either very, very high end, where you need you know, a PhD and you know, particle physics to do, or they're going to be extremely menial. So, were these good jobs?
1: Uh, I mean, it was a mix. I mean, it really depends on on what you think <laughs> and and what that's your right. perspective is, and and um, that's what I think was kind of fun about about the exercise. And, you know, I will say like, you know, you've brought up the sort of utopian dystopian distinction a few times and, and we were pretty clear in what we were telling people that, you know, we were looking for, some, you know, it's sort of a lot of science fiction today not not always historically but today certainly a lot of science fiction is very dystopian and and it's sort of natural to fall into a sort of dystopian look on on the world um and it, frankly that often makes for good stories because dystopia brings an automated conflict right um right and you know so we definitely asked for people to to try and think beyond that um and i would argue that there are a few stories in there that 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 could be dystopian, and 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 in fact, you know, one of the things that I think is is amusing is that um, some of the stories could go either way, <laughs> depending on your viewpoint, and then that gets to the jobs also. Um, you know, I, you know, one of the authors had told me this story where he wrote one of the stories and, and felt that it was a very optimistic take on the world um, and where things might go, and he had sent it to a friend who responded you know uh, that this was one of the worst possible futures he could imagine and he wouldn't <laughs> want to live in that world at all and and, and you know the author was just like wait well, oh, well i meant it the other way <laughs> and, no,
0: I, I i can see i can see that well let me let, let's let's just you know shoot through a, a couple of sure. the uh, uh, of, of the stories um uh one's called the chaperone by andrew uh dana hudson which follows a a, a a customer service representative for a company that sells personalized AI assistance. and it's the main character's job to make sure that men, in this case, don't get too emotionally attached right. to those to, the, to those to those AIs, and it, that I mean that that does not seem like something that would be a hundred years. Like that to me, that seems like an. An actual job, because when they talk about jobs of the future, they always talk about you know, you know, the advantages humans have are, are, are emotional intelligence, and that can't, be, they, you know, that can't be duplicated so easily by machines. So that, that, that I could see where uh, sort of next or next, next, next generation Alexas, people really feel like they're part of the family, and you do get emotionally involved, and it's, again, and then they have to send a customer service rep to kind of create some healthy distance there.
1: Yeah, and and I think you know Andrew has said that you know his thinking on on that particular story was kind of a uh, a more realistic version of the movie Her, which which <laughs> felt uh, you know very unrealistic in a sort of take of someone having an emotional relationship with their you know Siri or Alexa kind of kind of character, um, and this brought in the the you know, the idea of what would that really be like, uh, in in a more realistic world. Um, and again, it's, it's one of those stories where, you know, depending on how you look at it, it could go, it could go either way in terms of whether or not you think that's a good or, or a bad thing, but does feel fairly realistic. Um, and, you know, also kind of highlighted a theme that I think showed up, not in every story, certainly, but in a lot of the book, which is that, you know, yes, obviously, AI is here and it's getting better. Um, and rather than replacing jobs, what it's often doing is is creating new kinds of jobs that are effectively supporting the AI in some manner that the AI can't do by itself. And that shows up actually in a, in a bunch of the stories in the book.
0: And, and that's that's one thing I really appreciate about the book, because one way to look at Uh, technology and jobs is is sort of, right. It's sort of the, they're all, it's going to replace a certain job, but then there's also the aspect, well, they may either, you may be supporting the technology or the technology may be supporting you and you sort of work, uh, work hand in hand. Um, Another, another sort of uh, favorite, favorite of mine was the, uh, was um, uh, Joan Henry versus the algorithm uh, by Randy uh, Lubin, which, which, again, the, the main character is a sort of virtual reality game master which to me sounds like an excellent job, and something yeah. I can imagine. Uh, I mean, that we finally found a good use for um, uh, for VR, but that sounds like a great job. But of course, the twist is then there's an AI gunning for that job. That maybe right. the AI can do that to, to, to do that job. But to me, so I mean, that to me that's exactly on point with some of these uh, with some of these automation issues where you're doing the job well, but all of a sudden, can you continue to do it better? Um, you know than the machine, which of course is referenced in the uh, in the title.
1: Yeah, and and one of the interesting things about that story too was was the description of how the the protagonist in that story, um, you know, had to adjust, you know, continually as the jobs were changing and the jobs that that she was working on were changing. Yeah,
0: yeah, right, right. Yeah.
1: Um, and you know, and and how you know, some of her friends in in that story, you know, she had some roommates who had taken a different path um, and how she was, you know, very focused on still wanting to work and trying to, you know, wanting to do, um, you know, useful, fulfilling uh, employment and had found that in in being this sort of, you know, virtual game master, um, which was a a sort of interesting concept. And you could see, again, like kind of a, a very realistic thing. You could totally see where that sort of role would be um, you know, could, could very much happen in the next, you know, maybe even five to 10 years. Um, and, and yet, obviously there would still be pressures from, from more and better AI and how would you adjust to that? And, and it, you could see this sort of back and forth aspect playing out. And I thought that was, that was a fun part of that story.
0: Now you wrote, now you wrote two stories, uh, yourself, uh, for the anthology, um, you want to you know pick one highlight one and sort of why 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 you wrote that story or what led you to write that story
1: Sure. Yeah. One of the benefits of being the editor was I got to force two of my own stories into it. Uh, I originally intended the, to do the book one. Kind
0: of built, the, the book built toward your stories.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, um, and and I will not say that, that uh, I think the other stories are better. I was my stories are filler. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, one of the one of the stories. Uh, which is the uh, 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 prime of life story mm-hmm. um, that came directly out of the scenario planning process where, you know, one of the things that people were uh, one of the scenarios talked about was this idea that we were seeing more and more businesses and services effectively turning into subscriptions where, you know, uh, things that that historically you know you would buy as a one off or something like that we're turning to subscription ongoing service and then you know i started to think like what would happen if basically everything turned into that you know and your entire life and then that came to a point where it's like well what if you know you had life services and you would have these big companies or or whatever that would would provide everything for you with, and you could see how like Amazon prime being an example of, of moving towards that where, you know, they provide shipping on stuff, but also entertainment and other things. And
0: why not education, healthcare, everything.
1: Exactly. And then, so, you know, my first reaction on thinking through that is like, well, I could see where that could go in a really dystopian direction. <laughs> uh, and I think most people's inclination would be to take that story into a dystopian direction. And I started to think through, well, what, you know, what would that world look like if it actually wasn't so dystopian and actually was pretty good. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you that, the, that my first draft of that story, um, you know, some of the feedback I got when I sent it to, to some some people to read over um, and some of the other people who were editing the book and they were like this this version is too happy and too, like everything falls into place too nicely (laughs) and it needs a little bit more conflict and needs a little bit more, you know, uh, challenges for, for the protagonist. Um, and so, you know, so, so more things come into it, but I still think that overall, it's, it's a pretty optimistic viewpoint of how that world combined with, you know, real competition among different providers of life services could be, a really compelling world, um, and you know, throughout that story, I'm sort of highlighting a few different jobs that would still be really important, including, you know, one of the main characters is someone who is effectively a life services broker who helps find you the right life service, you know, to take care of all of your education, healthcare, living, you know, all of everything uh, in one, and and you know, trying to find the right package for you and, and make it make sense.
0: Now your, now, your other story I thought was also interesting, because you took an idea that you've written about, about, you know, how, you know dealing with the issue of how do we moderate content, no one seems to be happy about it, right. a huge political dispute about it, and you've written a little bit about how you think we can re- sort of resolve this uh, uh, conflict, and that, uh, so, so, which allows you to sort of kind of uh, bridge into some of the other things you do. So, talk to me a little bit about content moderation. And and your approach, maybe talking about your story and how we can sort of get out of this mess where people think we're not moderating enough, and we're letting all this crazy, <laughs> you know, uh, foreign interference or fake news. And other people think, well, we're moderating too much and we're suppressing certain political views. So so how, so how, what? How do we resolve this conflict?
1: Yeah. Well. To be clear, I don't think that there is a perfect resolution. And in fact, you know, part of what I've said over and over again is that it's impossible to get a perfect solution to this. And anyone looking for a perfect solution is going to be disappointed in the end. Um, that's just the, the nature of, of content moderation. In general, whoever's content is being moderated is going to be upset about it, probably. Um, and also just the nature of scale, right? When you have so many different people with so many different viewpoints, um, you know, and, and so much content out there, even if you were, you know, really good at it, you're still going to make mistakes um, and mistakes being, you know, how, how do you define mistakes even in this world? Because some people will not consider them to be mistakes. And then you'll have things that probably sh- should be taken down that won't get and things that shouldn't be taken down that will get taken down. So the, there's all sorts of, of messes. So the the idea that I have that I think moves us towards a better world, um is one where we sort of move the power of moderation um out from the centers of the network like right now and this is big complaints and and this is you know sort of across the political spectrum the big complaints are that you have these few companies with enormous power to handle content moderation uh and everybody agrees that they're doing a bad job of it they, they may be Uh, uh, saying they're doing a bad job of it for totally different reasons, in fact, sometimes opposing reasons. (laughs) Um, But everybody thinks that there's a problem of of these companies having too much power to make those decisions on their own, and then people disagreeing with it. And so my sort of approach to it that I think works better is if we were to move that power away from the center of the network and out towards the ends, which sort of gets back in my mind to, to some of the the earlier promise of the internet that it was moving the powers to the ends of the, the, the network. Um, and, you know, I, I've sort of referred to this as a protocols instead of platforms approach. Uh, and, and my story envisions a world where that is the case, where, where rather than everyone sort of being on Google's servers or Facebook servers, that it's a distributed system and there are all different approaches to it. And, you know, content moderations de- content moderation decisions are made you know uh in a very dispersed fashion and so it could be down to the point of the individual effectively having total control over you know what kinds of content they want to see or more likely you have a number of different third-party services that can compete and provide different kinds of of content moderation tools that anyone can use and and different people can make decisions for themselves and so if they don't want to see there
0: would there be would there be a facebook and and twitter and instagram and what in in that world
1: There could be. Um, uh, There could be. They would be different. Um, But, you know, the the simplest way of thinking about it and the example that I've often given is if you think about the email world, right? Now, email is based on a series of different protocols, SMTP uh, being the main one, but there's a few others in there. Um, And so anyone can set up their own email server and anyone can do different things. But then you do have companies like Google that have set up their own email system called Gmail that Almost everyone uses because they've done a really good job of it. But if you don't trust Google, uh, you can use somebody else's, or you can move your email to someone else's, and you can do all different things. You can use Gmail, but use your own client. You don't have to use the Gmail client, or you can use you know your own email system, but use Gmail as as the client side to to read your email, even if you're not using a Gmail account specifically. Um, there's all different things that you can do, and if you really don't trust Google, you can use somebody else's entirely. And there's, you know, different companies that have popped up that focus on privacy, for example, or focus on other features. Um, And so you have lots of options. But if you switch away from Gmail or don't ever use Gmail, you can still communicate with people who do use Gmail, you know, unlike a Facebook situation where if you leave Facebook, you can't communicate with people on Facebook anymore. Um, And so, you know, the protocols approach, I think it doesn't. Take away, like you know, Google still exists and Gmail still exists, um, and Gmail, in fact, is you know is super popular. And is, I'm pretty sure the, the the most popular provider of email right now. Um, but you know, I think that there are strong incentives that keep Google from being evil <laughs> with Gmail because it's so easy for people to go elsewhere. And and if the you know if Google does something really bad with Gmail, then people easily go somewhere else, and that you know acts as sort of a natural market you know, incentive for them to, to continue to be good. And so I think you would probably end up with a similar sort of world, um, you know, if, if you had social media or other things built on a similar sort of protocol, you might still have Facebook being the dominant provider. But if you have a problem with what they've done or you don't trust them, you could go somewhere else or you could use a different interface or you could use, you know, plug in a different filtering mechanism or you could say, I don't want any filtering mechanism. I want the pure fire hose. Right. right. Um,
0: can, can you imagine, w- w- under the current system, current sort of centralized system, dominated by the platforms we we know and and you know love at least fifty percent of the time, is there a significantly better version of that system than what we are seeing? Is that you know is it a more moderators more? you know, better AI, more guidance from the government, can we do considerably better or is this still going to be just a really problematic system that we just have to, you know, it is what it is. I,
1: I, I mean, they can always improve, right? I mean, they, well, they could also be worse, right? So you could go yes. right? they there. I, I think, I think they could be better. And I do think that they're working on it and they're, and, you know, there is, there is this general belief that like within the sort of content moderation space that like these companies don't care. um, And they're not, they're not thinking through all the different issues. And that is really not true. You know, there are people within these companies who very much care about these things and recognize that every decision that they're making involves a pretty significant trade-off and, and, and like having to go back and forth and understand all those trade-offs is really, really complicated and, and really, really difficult. And, and I, You know, I I respect the work that they're doing, even if I often criticize the mistakes that I think they make. Um, and so I think that they can and will continue to improve, but there is a question of, of just how much you can scale that improvement. And certainly, like, you know, AI is becoming a bigger part of it. Um, and there are some pretty cool tools. And uh, and I've seen some new ones that are coming along that, that look pretty impressive and hopefully get better over time because that's, you know, the nature of technology. It should get better over time. But you know, as we were discussing with regards to the stories, there are certain things that AI just really isn't that good at in terms of like the emotional stuff or understanding context. You know, it's one thing, you know, and, and I've had this discussion a whole bunch, you know, with regards to context, you know, people say like, well, you know, you can look at like a tweet or a Facebook post and see what they're responding to. And there's the context, but it's like, no, you know, often the context is like, what is happening in the wider world? You know, if know, if someone is making a joke about, you know, headlines of the day, but without, you know, mentioning the actual headline or linking to the headline, you know it's kind of important to know what what that's actually referencing, even if there's no direct link or just you know what's going on. Like right right now, as we're recording this, right? There are protests all around, there's a pandemic all around. If you look at the content that is being generated, if you were to take out just a single piece of that and look at it, say five or ten years from now without remembering what is going on outside that content might look very different and, and not be well understood because you don't have that, that broader context. And that's the kind of thing that AI will, I don't, I don't know how, you know, how, how they're going to be able to deal with that. So I think there's always going to be some challenges there.
0: Well, let me, uh, let me finish up with this. We have a, we have a, an election in uh, basically five, five months and, One thing I feel confident of is whatever the result, the other side is going to be extraordinarily unhappy and they're gonna be extraordinarily unhappy with these platforms, which they will think has somehow given uh, an unfair, even illegal edge to the other side and there's going to be a a rush of ideas to to fix that problem that will uh, be uh, poorly thought out and have great potential for ruining the internet as we know it, uh, have you any thought? Does that sound like a crazy notion to you? Uh, do you worry? Do you worry about that? Uh, that uh, that most so far, most of the reform ideas I've seen just right right now, when people are slightly calmer, aren't that good. So I, yeah. I fear for what the future holds.
1: Yeah, I think I think you're exactly right. I think that no matter who wins in November, um, the other side will be looking to blame. Someone and the easy target will be the internet platforms because both sides are already blaming them, though for different reasons and different things. Um, and that will become an easy target, as it was, frankly, in 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 2016. I think I think the platforms took way too much blame uh, for for what people felt was was an election result they didn't like. Um, and I think that will happen again, no matter who wins in November. The other side is going to blame them, and out of that will come. You know attempts at legislating, and based on every proposal we've seen so far, um, I fear what the results will be. Because I, I think that most of the people who are looking at these things do not, and and honestly, don't seem to have much interest in actually understanding the the various incentives at play and how these systems work and why content moderation works the way it does, and and why and where it fails. Um, so the solutions that they're suggesting you know, and this is again across the the political spectrum, Um, you know, in many cases will make the problems that they're discussing much worse. And and that's based on, you know, uh, I I, spending a lot of time talking about and talking with experts in content moderation and the trust and safety field as it's called these days, Um, you know, really understanding the trade-offs of every decision is, it's, it's incredibly complex and, and difficult to to comprehend. And even people deep within the space have trouble, trouble, you know, comprehending all of the, the trade-offs and, and results of the decisions that they make. And then you have politicians who do not have the knowledge or understanding of the nuances jumping in with solutions that I think are, uh, Uh, very very risky and so i i i fear what's going to happen uh in december no matter what the the results of the election in november
0: my guest today has been mike masnick mike thanks for coming on the podcast
1: thanks for having me it's fun